What's Shaking Fire Nation? JLD here, and we have an audio masterclass for the ages. Practicing good in business. Fire Nation, practicing good in business. And to talk about this, I have brought Ryan Vett. He's an entrepreneur, speaker, and author, and he's held executive leadership roles in numerous startups, including Boone, a cloud solutions platform for the dental and health industries, and is the owner of two restaurants. And today we're going to talk about the strategy for starting a business, branding a business, fundraising, scaling a business, creating a corporate culture, and something pretty cool that I was really intrigued by is hiring a team for the gig economy that benefits all parties. So Fire Nation, we're going to dive into all this and so much more when we get back from thanking our sponsor. We love saving time and money, and you can save both with SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes. Compare rates, print stamps and shipping labels, and track shipments all in one place. Get a free 30-day trial plus a free 10-pound scale. Visit pb.com slash fire. Time is your most precious resource. Vincero crafts the watches you need to own every second. Visit vincerowatches.com slash fire and use promo code FIRE for 15% off plus free shipping worldwide. That's vincerowatches.com slash fire, promo code FIRE. Ryan, say what's up to Fire Nation and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. What's up, Fire Nation and JLD? Thank you so much for having me yeah. on today. Uh, so here's a fun fact. Though I was raised in the suburbs of Chicago and considered that home, I was not born there. I was actually born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And yes, that's a real place. A lot of people think it's fictitious and made up just for the Office TV show. Uh, but there's multiple episodes filmed or supposedly filmed at the hospital where I was born, and even Jimmy and Pam's baby Cece was born there. So uh, Scranton is a, a real place, even though I lived there for only a whopping 11 days uh, before heading out and growing up in Chicago. You know, I would have been in the camp of people that thought Scranton was a made-up place, except about six months ago, uh, somebody moved into our community. His name's Farouk and his wife, Heidi. They moved to our community, Palma Samar, down here in Puerto Rico, and chatting with them one day, they're just like, yeah, we're actually going to live here for about seven or eight months of the year. Then we're going to head back to our home in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And I was like, wait, you're joking. You don't actually live there. And they're like, oh, no, we live there and we love it. <laughs> and it's real. Steamtown Mall is real. It's, it's all real. I love it. Well, Fire Nation, as I said in the intro, we're going to be talking today about practicing good in business. And Ryan is a great person to talk about this for numerous reasons. But I do want to start off with strategies, Ryan. Talk to us about a strategy for actually starting a business, especially in this whole area of a good business? If starting and scaling a business was easy, I think everyone would be doing it. Truth. But the reality is that's not always the case, as you well know and all the listeners know. But there, there's just great joy in launching a successful venture and just watching that grow. But I think the most important thing, more than having a business plan or anything like that, is the drive and passion to persevere uh, through the life of the startup, no matter what ups and downs come, because it's not a matter of uh, if they come, but when they come. And I think just really having that passion, knowing why you're starting the business, not just starting it to make money, uh, which is a lot of people's motivations, but how are you going to make the world a little bit better? Are you going to benefit team members or provide economic opportunity to those who might not have that? But what is that strategy and what is your why behind actually wanting to create that business? Uh, I, I have this friend who had an extremely promising Amazon business idea and Amazon businesses, everyone 
seems to be wanting to start one. And there's countless stories on how many people have been successful in putting in what they say is a little effort, although the reality is it's probably a lot more than they let on, and then growing this hugely successful Amazon business. And so this friend of mine went out and purchased all this inventory and got his product approved on Amazon. But then they had certain things that they required with pictures lighting a certain way and this background or that background or not that background. And before he knew it, it was just too many things that he didn't want to work on. And the whole reason he started the business was to earn extra money. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that, his whole passion and the strategy for starting it was, was wrong. He could have impacted people's lives by the, the quality of the products he was selling. He could have provided economic opportunities to those manufacturing it. So really, what does it mean? And I think you, you have an idea to make a lot of money and uh, you're pursuing it only to find out it's exponentially more challenging than you originally thought. Uh, I, I'm reminded of Phil Knight, who is the founder of Nike, and he had to hustle hard with selling his tiger shoes. And he had all sorts of major supply chain issues to quality issues. And he and his team pushed through what seemed insurmountable odds to make Nike the international brand icon that it is today. And he's just one of many founders, just like Howard Schultz, who originally uh, started working at Starbucks. He didn't found Starbucks. He founded a company called Ildranali. And then later went back to buy Starbucks only to find out that his investors were trying to do the same thing. And he was at feuds with his investors. And uh, actually, it was Bill Gates Sr. that bailed him out. And so you see just these stories of perseverance and grit are fundamental in starting a business. You're going to have to be okay with sweating a little bit. And like I said, when we started, if entrepreneurship was easy, every single person would be an entrepreneur. And by the way, Fire Nation, if you haven't read the book Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, you absolutely have to. And I actually triple down on that. If you're a runner, one of my most favorite memories of a, a run that I've taken in the past five years, I was in San Diego, I downloaded the book Shoe Dog, and I went for like this epic like 15-mile run. Now, I wasn't running the entire time. I was walking and running and stopping and getting breakfast, and it was a whole day thing. But man, I listened to the whole book Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, and that was such an inspiration to see his journey. So I highly recommend that. Definitely. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. And I second that. And one thing I want to kind of double down on as well, Fire Nation, is a few things that Ryan chatted about. Number one, passion and excitement. Like, are you going to be waking up every single day excited to be working on what it is you're working on? Like his friend taking pictures of this product and doing this and like he just ran out of passion and excitement pretty early. That's a red flag. That's a bad sign. You want to choose something that you're going to love doing because you're going to be putting in a lot of time. But on the flip side, are you adding value to the world with this passion, with this excitement that you have? Do you have skills and expertise that's equating to value you're adding to the world? Because Ryan, one thing I love talking about is what I call the zone of fire. That's where your passion merges with your skills, where your excitement unites with your expertise. When you can have those things combined, that zone of fire is critical. And the last part, Ryan, because this is kind of the theme and the focal point of our interview today is practicing good in business. Do you feel good, Fire Nation? about what you're putting out in the world? Like, is it making you feel good about what it is that you are putting out in the world? Content, products, services, communities, you fill in that blank. Does it make you feel good? But all of this can be for naught if we don't get branding right, Ryan. So talk about branding a business. You've done it so well. Share with Fire Nation some tips, tools, and tactics. Yeah, thanks, JLD. And I think a lot of times when we talk about branding, we look at the most iconic brands in the world like Disney and Coca-Cola and Apple, and they've all employed different names and strategies to get that name. 
And I, I think back to ninth grade English and whether or not you read it uh, or read the spark notes of Romeo and Juliet, you would still have this line, even in the Cliff Notes version. Uh, <laughs> that might be how I know it's there. It says, it wasn't a name. That which we call a rose by any other name would be so sweet. And I'm not a Shakespeare buff by any stretch. But the reality is Juliet is saying it doesn't matter whether or not uh, what family you come from or what name it is. It, it's true love. And I think it goes back to that passion we just talked about. And if you look at these iconic brands, like Disney was named after Walt Disney. It was after someone's name. If you look at Coca-Cola, it's actually named after the early ingredients of the product. If you look at Apple, it was one of Steve Jobs' wacky diets that you can read in <laughs> his biographies that he was thinking about apples and said, this is unintimidating. And that was kind of his reason for picking Apple. But no matter what it is, it's a, a great company name is important, but that's just the start of your brand. That's just the tip of your iceberg because what you see is that a brand and most successful businesses that have good brands are more than a name, but they're this dynamic and engaging personality with a unique identity. So if you go and, and dig in, why is Coca-Cola so much more recognized than Pepsi or Disney? Or why is Disney more recognized than Universal? It's the idea that the brand is speaking to something bigger than themselves. They've kind of embodied this personality. Coke's personality is this idea of opening happiness which is a lifestyle. It's a change. It's something different. Uh, if you look at Disney's, it's all about magic and this idealistic fantasy that anyone can be a part of. And not that the other brands in the same spaces that they play in don't have a similar theme or message, but they, they just promote this in everything they do. And so a brand's just not your slogan. It's just not your name. But it, in creating a brand, it's more than a name, but it's the identity that your consumer can latch onto and really rally behind. And so how do you do that in building a brand? And that really comes from if you start a business that is practicing good, that has that passion, you're going to see that come out in the way the brand looks, the way it feels, the way it talks, the way it presents itself, the way it creates new products and services. It just makes a, a radical difference. Fire Nation, a brand is more than a name. It's an identity that others can rally around. I mean, to me, that is so powerful for you to recognize that. Because if you're going to build something that you care about, that you love, and you want others to love it as well, well, what is this identity that other people can relate to? That flag that you're going to plant in the sand that they can rally around, that's your brand. Be passionate about it. Branding is so key. Now, let's be honest. You can have a great brand, but if you have no money and you don't have savings you can rely on, then let's be honest. You're not going to be able to get very far. It's just a reality of the world that we live in. And that's why I do love the opportunities of things like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, different crowdfunding platforms. But fundraising can be a huge key when you want to grow a business, when you want to launch a business the right way. So talk about fundraising and the different venues that we can choose as entrepreneurs. Yeah, this is so fun. And I've had the opportunity and privilege to start many different businesses. And I would dare to say that I've taken almost every single possible fundraising avenue that Whoa. there is. Um, and so my very first one, uh, I bootstrapped it. And uh, I, it was a software startup. And it was your typical dorm room software startup. I was in college, I'd saved up uh, about uh, a, good, a good amount for my wife to be's engagement ring. And I had this idea and I had to get to Las Vegas with my salesperson so we could sell our software. So uh, being the entrepreneur that I was and bootstrapping it, I literally risked every penny and then some on getting myself and this sales guy and his wife and buying a booth and flying out to Las Vegas to start this company. Now, thankfully, we made all of our money back. 
within uh, that one trade show, and we more than doubled it. So it was a good bet. But uh, bootstrapping is probably the, the most common way that people get started doing. The reality is, though, if you don't have cash, you're going to run an, out of business. I mean, it just unfortunately, the the reality of how it's been. So I've been part of raising money from friends and family, which can get really awkward uh, and having those conversations. And, and you know, your business is a risky business. So you could make it and there's a chance you might not. And so what, what does that conversation look like before you raise the money while your business is growing and uh, after the fact? And so if you're, you're trying to do something a little bit longer term, but you need a proof of concept, whether it's a product, uh, proof of concept or software, proof of concept, friends and family is not a bad way to go if you don't have that uh, cash in, in the bank to be able to spend or risk on that. Uh, I've also raised money from angels who are normally going to put in a bit more than venture capital and are a bit more experienced private investors. So they're the ones who are going to ask you some more challenging questions and really want to understand what they're getting for their money and what that return's going to be like and how long it waits. And then I've raised from venture capital, which is just a whole nother caliber. So you have all sorts of uh, plane flights all over the place and talking to people and analysts and they do due diligence and it's this complicated process, uh, but it's also super fulfilling. Uh, taking loans from the SBA, I've got two coffee shops uh, and wine bars, and we started funding one from the other and realized that cash, again, is king, and uh, it was going to be a bit more expensive, so we went to the SBA for a, a loan for that. And so really, what you have to figure out whenever you're going to do fundraising is what what is the end game? If you're looking for a business that's just going to generate cash flow but isn't going to have a huge exit or is more of a lifestyle business, those either personal loans from friends and family or bootstrapping it or maybe a bank loan might be a good way to go. Uh, if you're looking for something that you're just going to catapult and launch and is going to have a, a huge exit. I mean, if you look at Menlo Ventures who invested in Uber early on, they got a 93 times on their return in their investment in about four or five years. It's, it's, that's not a bad deal. So if you're going to be the next Uber or have one of those huge opportunities, uh, going to venture capital or, or more sophisticated institutional investors is a great way to go. And, and personally, one of the most interesting things uh, as someone who has invested in other businesses as well as has solicited investments is this new, uh, this new idea of crowdfunding. And it's not Kickstarter or Indiegogo, but it's equity crowdfunding. And this is a really, really huge uh, movement that I think a lot of people are unaware of, but it's this idea of being able to actually sell stock in your private company to individuals for just a couple hundred dollars. So you don't need those in investors who are going to write a quarter million dollar check each. You can have someone that's going to write a $250 check. And platforms like WeFunder actually allow you to do this. And it, it's just great. So the Jobs Act passed uh, first in 2012 and then got amended in 2016, and it allows anyone to invest. And I think one of the, the things that we've uh, seen before was when you go to an angel investor or an institutional investor like venture capital, these people are all what's called accredited investors. They're multimillionaires making a lot of money, high net worth. And before, if you weren't a multimillionaire or an accredited investor, it was almost illegal uh, to actually invest in private companies. Now, things like the Jobs Act ha have made it so much easier. So if you you have something that's going to get consumers excited, uh, the ability to go out and use a, a crowdfunding platform like WeFunder or SeedInvest uh, or many, I think there's over 40 now that are out there. It's a huge opportunity to engage your market and go raise. And actually, with my, my current startup, this is the first time I've gone to the crowdfunding route. And I, I can't wait to see how it works. 
this is super exciting stuff, Fire Nation, because this is the world that we live in now. I mean, way back in the day, think about it. Your options were friends and family. That was it. And we're talking way, way back in the day. Now you have things that Ryan's gone through. You have angel investors. It's literally their job to find startups and to invest in them to get that potential unicorn-like return, like an Airbnb, like an Uber. Then you have venture capital, which is typically down the road a little bit after you've gotten seed funding and maybe you know a Series A, Series B funding, whatever it might be, venture capital is kind of like that real big paycheck that you give also real big equity and some potential power away as well. And then there's loans from the SBA. Like I love that, how you shared about your two coffee shops and wine bars. And then Fire Nation, there is equity crowdfunding. And that is so cool. And I just actually did write down that name. It was called WeFunder. I think that was right. WeFunder. WeFunder, like F-U-N-D-E-R, Fire Nation, where people can actually spend as little as a couple hundred bucks to own a piece of your pie, which is really interesting. And I know that was passed and made into a law a couple of years ago in the Obama, uh, Obama administration because before, if you weren't an accredited investor, meaning you had like over a million dollars in the bank or making more than $500,000 for three or four consecutive years in a row, you couldn't be yeah. an accredited investor. You couldn't invest in companies, but now you can at very small dollar amounts, which is super cool. And the last thing I want to bring up before we move on to the next topic, Ryan, are grants, because that's one thing I've seen like here yes. in Puerto Rico and actually Chile has this as well. Like for instance, Puerto Rico has a $40,000 incubator grant where if you come to Puerto Rico, you have to obviously apply and get accepted and it's probably pretty competitive. But if you get accepted, they literally give you a grant of $40,000. And a grant means you don't pay that back, but you do have to obviously follow some rules and you have to go step by step through the process, but you can get that $40,000 grant to start your business and to get an accelerator and even actually have some people helping you with that. So can you talk a little bit about grants to your knowledge, Ryan? Have you experienced any of those? Yeah, I personally haven't done anything with grants, so I've definitely looked at them. There's a website, and I can't think of it off the top of my head, but you can see every grant that's currently available wow. in uh, the United States, and you can apply for them. So some of them are 500 bucks, and some of them are $500,000. If you had to just off the top of your head, what would people Google to maybe find that website? It's a .gov website, so I would Google government grant program for small businesses, something along nice. those lines. That's what I would I would put in. But you know, I've looked at this, and there's, I mean, ideas that, I didn't even couldn't even begin to imagine that there's these random grants for but there's somebody out there innovating in that space that's putting their passion into action and can use one of these grants and like you said typically you don't have to pay them back and the other part is they typically don't get equity they tell you how the funds have to be used to some extent but you still maintain the majority control in your business so if you are afraid of giving up equity which I would say at first I was and now I wish in some other companies I was a part of I did give up equity earlier to people who were better and more experienced than I am but a, a grant's a great way a, a great way to go and, and get extra money to help further your business so Fire Nation, I did go ahead and Google that. And I think the website might be grants.gov. So that could be a great place to start, grants.gov. And it's also run by the sba.gov funding program site as well. But also a little shout out to my sponsor, Capterra, because when I did Google that, they were actually the first result. And they actually rate and review the best government grant programs. It's a free list of the wow. top government grants programs. So if you visit capterra.com slash fire, you can check that out, Fire Nation. You'll be supporting our sponsor. And speaking of which, we have a lot more stuff to talk about when we get back from thanking our sponsor. 
There's nothing worse than wasting time and money waiting in line at the post office or overpaying for postage. Luckily, I cut that out years ago and you can too. With SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes, you can compare rates, print shipping labels and stamps, and track your shipments all without ever leaving your office. No matter what you ship or mail, SendPro Online software helps you find the best shipping rates for your business. And when you sign up today, you'll gain access to special USPS discounts and savings for letters and priority mail shipping, all for as low as $4.99 per month. An added bonus for being part of Fire Nation, you'll receive a free 30-day trial plus a free 10-pound scale shipped right to your door to help you accurately weigh your packages. With this new offer for SemPro Online, all you have to do is click send and save. Visit pb.com slash fire to access this special offer and get a free 30-day trial plus a free 10-pound scale to get started. That's pb.com slash fire. Experience the better way to ship with a free trial of SemPro Online from Pitney Bowes. Exciting projects, new opportunities, and business partnerships are around every corner, and you know just as well as I do that it's an amazing feeling to be working on the things you love. But it might also mean getting wrapped up and losing track of time now and again. Because I know you value your time as much as I do, I want to tell you about Vincero watches. Vincero is changing the direct-to-consumer game by crafting exceptional watches and selling them at a fair price. With six collections for men, four collections for women, and dozens of colors to choose from, Vincero has a style you want to wear and never take off. Vincero is the best value in their industry, keeping their watches affordable while using the highest quality materials in manufacturing. With over 16,000 five-star reviews, you can trust your expectations are going to be exceeded. With a Vincero watch on your wrist, you'll feel unstoppable. Visit vincerowatches.com slash fire and use promo code fire for 15% off plus free shipping worldwide. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com slash fire promo code FIRE. So Ryan, we're back and I want to dive into scaling a business. I mean, businesses have to remain viable as they grow. And a lot of people, and I've seen it before, can take a business from uh, zero to one million, but they can't take that business from one to 10 or from 10 to 100. Talk about scaling a business. Yeah, I think, like you said, JLD, generating your business's first million isn't necessarily that hard for many entrepreneurs. It's not easy. It still takes the grit and a great deal of perseverance. But for many entrepreneurs, they'll see that in their lifetime. That's a, a realistic and achievable goal. But doubling that to two million, then to four, then eight, and then 16, and 32, I mean, it is challenging. And I think we don't view businesses like they have their own personality. I mean, they evolve and they learn, and there's a culture that's developed. And I know we're going to talk about that in a minute. But if you, you look at an infancy, a business in infancy, it's really very much like a, an infant. It's a business that is just getting started. You need to be on alert 24-7 and at any moment something could go awry and haywire and you'll be stuck changing the dirty diapers trying to clean up the mess. <laughs> and it's very much like, like an infant. And at some point you grow out of that stage and it's not just you and your partner, but you might have one or two or three other uh, team members that you've brought in and your business turns into that toddler. So they're walking and crawling and pulling up on things and uh, they touch everything they see. And that's where usually where most founders become frantic because at this point, they've started to get some revenue and the revenue is typically unpredictable and very uh, cyclical and cash burn is real. They're, they're very concerned about that. So they start, like a toddler does, grasping at any straws, trying to bring in that revenue and keep growing, but also while trying to be aware of how they can make a name for themselves in, in whatever industry or space they're in. And so they do that for a, a little bit and these aren't usually 
a business is normally not an infant for two years and then a toddler for two or three. This is a, a much shortened life cycle, but they still have the same philosophies. And then you start seeing then become a school-aged child. And that's when the organization really starts maturing uh, and the culture is becoming set and people are starting to understand the personality of the business and you're growing into a real company. You can talk, uh, people are looking to you now, uh, you have some responsibility, you start hiring positions that you might not have needed, like maybe positions in HR or additional accounting or payroll needs and, and you're starting to grow that you add policies and procedures and controls and so you're starting to do that and, and watch these changes happen and then it kind of mellows out for a little while that it's normally smooth and you, you have steady growth it's not rapid growth but people start getting comfortable in their roles and that's when you hit the tween years and your voice starts cracking a little bit maybe some of the original team members they they start getting discontent with the direction that things are headed or uh, you know they, they depart leaving huge holes in your culture and that starts confusing the team, just like most tweens are also uh, confused. It's a, a crazy time of life. And so a lot of times uh, you're trying to figure out, okay, are we going to scale? Are we going to ramp rapidly and try to, or are we going to try to keep growing at the steady rate and maintain a positive EBITDA? And what's that going to look like? And, and so you have a lot of that discovery. And then your, your business becomes a, a teen. And at this point, you've normally hired big teams. You are becoming maybe a bit overstaffed. And because you now have a little bit more money, a little bit more stability, you're willing to take more risks because you're invincible. Most teenagers think that they're invincible and most companies at this stage have cash flow. They have clients, so they're taking risks, which is good. In businesses, you absolutely should take risks, but they should be calculated. And at this point, uh, normally they're looking to grow in the industry or they're looking to see if other people in the industry are outgrowing them and it creates this competitive mindset. And we could spend forever unpacking each day of the business but really what's important at each of these different times is companies need different leaders to spearhead the efforts and rally the team. And I think for most founders, and, and having been a multi-time founder, it, it was hard for me at the beginning uh, to realize that I am not always the right person to lead during a growing season. Uh, founders are typically visionary and they shoot for the stars, but at some point, they might need someone more operational that can create systems and processes that can be replicated, or they need something... Uh, that's more administrative and maybe they don't have that skill set. So good founders know their weaknesses and bring team members around them to fill out a well-rounded skill set to scale and grow companies from an early stage. And I think that's where I've personally messed up before because I can get a company to do a certain level, but then I think I can keep going. And really, I just need to yield and say, hey, I want, I'm so passionate about this company that's practicing good. I'm so passionate about the impact we're making in the lives of our team members and our customers but I need someone else that can do this operational part or this administrative part and build out that team and realize where your strong suits are and also don't be afraid to bring people in to backfill your weaknesses. Fire Nation, the way that I would sum up this section is what got you here won't get you there. You might not be the right person to take a company from B to C if you took it from A to B and so on and so forth. You just need to be honest with yourself. You need to look around. And if you do want to be that person, then you've got to be growing and going through those stages that Ryan just talked about. Now, let's talk, Ryan, about creating a corporate culture. You alluded to this in the last section, but a lot of companies and people in general, they just fail at this. So tell us why. I want to start off by saying both Forbes and CNBC last year put out separate articles indicating that millennials will work for a lower paycheck if they believe that their company follows their mission and values and has a purpose, which is really fascinating because having managed many millennials and being a millennial myself, uh, 
more pe- more millennials have come into my office asking for a raise at totally random times, uh, two months into the job, two weeks into the job, and, and yet the reality is that does that signal a question that your company is not focused or living up to your purpose? And so I do think at the end of a day, healthy culture can cultivate an energy inside a company that will propel it to reach unexpected heights. I mean, if you have that culture and you can start helping people understand what your purpose is, what your mission is, and where you're going, uh, not just what you're doing, waking up every morning, coming in, doing your emails and leaving, but where are you going as a company? What positive change are you impacting? If you can start addressing that, that will cultivate this energy inside of a company that's literally going to move the company forward together in unison. And companies with a heartbeat and a mission uh, that people can rally around truly make a positive impact for their team and their customers. I mean, they're really actually going to make this profound change in the hearts and minds of people who come in every day to work. It becomes more than a job. And so I think some tips for creating culture are one, consistent messaging. What does your leadership, whether you're a company of three or four people or three or 400 people or three or 4,000 people, what does that look like when you're being consistent in your messaging and talking about your core values, talking about where you're going? Do you have a clear purpose? And, and what are those things? And if you were to ask any team member from the person that you know is just new, just out of college, this is their first job, to the person that's a, a senior level executive that's been in a career for a long time, can anyone in your company articulate exactly what it is that your company does and what the purpose and the mission is? It's not that you make a widget, but it's that your widget can impact this positive change for others. And so the question is, how do you do that? and then practice what you preach. I see all too often, and it makes me sad, but all too often companies claim, let's say, uh, just pulling one of the many things I've heard, uh, to put people first, but they pay their teams poorly. They don't invest in customer support. They don't do all these different things. And so if a company is not putting their money where their mouth is, how is a team ever going to rally around that? It doesn't make sense. Your team's got to be shooting for the same goal in the same direction at the same time. And if you're revolutionizing an industry, do something bold. If that's your your tagline and you're going to make something different, be willing to be bold and daring and don't do what your competitor does, but do something different so that you start that revolution. So whatever that is, whatever your company's goal is, whatever your company's why is, really understand that and make sure everybody in your company can articulate exactly what that is because that healthy culture can cultivate this energy that just really propels and moves the whole uh, company forward. Fire Nation, a healthy corporate culture is congruent, congruent to the mission of your employees. If your employees feel like you are driving forward in the right direction, that's the direction they want to be driving forward in, that is going to be so critical to the success of your business because the success of your business is going to be very reliant on the happiness, the loyalty of your employees, every way, shape, and form. Consistent messaging was something else that Ryan mentioned. You have to be consistent, Fire Nation, with your messaging. You have to let people know, this is what we stand for, and six months from now, it's got to be consistent. You've got to stick to those values if you want to build that know, like, and trust. Now, one thing that if anybody looks around, Ryan, they notice that the gig economy is here to stay. First, yes. for Fire Nation, break down. What exactly is the gig economy? And if we want to hire a team for the gig economy that's actually benefiting all parties, how do we go about doing that? 
the gig economy, to answer your first question, is the economy that's been created with companies like Uber and Lyft, where anyone that wants to earn a little bit of extra money or have a side hustle can do that on their own time, be in control. They're a freelancer or contractor. And so the the examples usually are Uber and Lyft, but Amazon's doing that with Prime Now Deliveries. Uh, you're seeing companies like Upwork and Fiverr allowing designers and developers and videographers and uh, musicians to be able to post their services. So the gig economy is really a two-sided marketplace where there is uh, a demand for something. So if I need a new logo for my company, there's a demand for that. And then there is supply. So if you're very skilled at doing X, Y, and Z, you can hop on the marketplace and uh, start selling your services and be connected with someone maybe around the world that you otherwise would have never had an opportunity to be connected with. So that's the gig economy. And then really, how do you build the gig economy or how do you leverage the gig economy to make sure that it's benefiting all parties. So this is something that's really interesting to me. I love to experiment with any new technology that comes out, whether it's hardware from Apple or whether it's software or new platforms or an investing platform. I've probably invested on just about every investing platform just to see what it's like. And I I have done the same thing with the gig economy because I wanted to see someone who's consulted and has done a lot of writing and speaking. I wanted to see what it was like to go put my services online. So I, I used Upwork and said, hey, here's what I do. Here's my hourly rate. Is anyone going to hire me? And I immediately got flooded with requests. This was about two <laughs> years ago for people to, uh, you know, have me consult on some bizarre things, some really cool things, uh, some awesome ideas I love being a part of. So I did that for about two months just to learn. And that was really why I did it and saw that there's a huge opportunity for people that have talents and skills uh, to use those outside of their normal day job or if they're between jobs or even if they're retired and got bored of golfing every single day and want to do something extra or whether they you know, are maybe a stay-at-home parent and they want to be able to uh, use their skills while, while staying at home. So there's all types of applications for the gig economy. And I did that for a little while. And then I hired a bunch of people on the gig economy because my, my latest company, the one that I'm in, uh, start launching on WeFunder, to do uh, a fundraise is also a gig economy. It's a gig economy for healthcare. And so in order to create this on-demand marketplace for healthcare providers to be connected to work opportunities on demand, I wanted to figure out, can I build a gig economy platform on the gig economy? So I went back to Upwork, I went back to Fiverr, I went back to some of these other platforms and built my entire initial team from the gig economy. And let me tell you, we had some awesome, awesome contractors and freelancers, and we had some... Uh, that were not awesome. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> and and it taught me so much about how can you make the gig economy a great place that benefits all parties. And, and so here's a couple lessons and takeaways that uh, I found. First of all, communication. You want to be able to communicate well with whoever you're working with. This is both from a availability standpoint. A lot of people who are on the gig economy might be working one or two days a week. And if you have a project that needs someone every single day of the week or at least more frequent communication, you need to establish that before you hire that individual. The flip side is if you're hiring, you also need to be available to answer their question. I can tell you when I freelanced on Upwork for about two months, the most annoying thing was when someone was like, hey, I've got to get this project done by Friday. And it's like Thursday. And <laughs> then they don't respond at all until next Tuesday. And they're like, why wasn't it done? I was like, well, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and so all part of that communication. 
And then the second thing is clarity. What Do you have clear expectations on what you want the final product to be? This goes back to what's your brand and what's your purpose. This goes back to creating a culture. All of that factors into utilizing uh, a platform uh, to do uh, gig work. So do you have clear expectations and are you driving towards a common goal? And then finally, I think using the ratings and using that to uh, both the advantage of the freelancer and to the next person hiring them because it's easy, especially when content is displayed publicly, to write a nice review, but a lot of them have public and private feedback. So you'll slam them on the private feedback, but give them a glowing review on the public feedback. And so now, uh, you know, they've got a, a semi-weird rating, but it looks like you you were okay. It's okay to give feedback because when you're building a team, you want to be able to build a team that is honest and can trust one another. And Patrick Lencioni has a great book, and it talks about the foundation of any team has to be trust. And so I think being able to communicate those expectations, but don't just be passive aggressive and leave it in your rating. Talk to the contractor before the project's over and have that open communication because you can really build some incredible relationships. I would say one of the most interesting contractors that I ended up hiring was someone that we had more issues with, but we continued to work because she was willing to put in the effort it took, and I was willing to work with her, and she's one of my favorite contractors. Uh, contractors now. So just be willing to be clear, uh, communicate well, and just be honest and build that trust because a virtual team can sometimes be hard to, to manage and work with. Fire Nation, the gig economy is here to stay. And as you heard Ryan talking about, there's a lot of ways to participate in this economy. He shared a lot of different ways and best practices. And I really hope he took some notes on those best practices because they were absolute value bombs. Ryan, our chat is coming to an end, but I want you to take a minute. Give us a final thought, a main takeaway that you want Fire Nation to really get from everything that we've chatted about today. Then take a minute, give us a call to action, how we can find you, consume more of your content, and then we'll say goodbye. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I think the final thought that sums up everything we've talked about is, is what you're doing practicing good? And what that means is, is your brand, does it have a mission that's ultimately benefiting the people that you work with? Are people better having met you or worked with your brand or interacted with your product or utilized your service having met you than they would be without it? And, and that carries through to the way you design culture that goes through hiring. And sometimes it means letting people go. But can you still make sure that when you let someone go, are they better off? having left you than they were before because you've left something with them. So mm. in everything that you do, make sure that you practice good. And, and that's that's a huge component of what my new company is. It's called Boone. And you can find more at doingboon.com, which means doing good. Uh, Boone is an old English word that in about a dozen languages means good. And that's what we wanted to do because healthcare providers need to practice good in all they do. And we want to establish that and give them fair pay and flexibility to be able to do that. So to learn more about Boone and some of the things that I talked about with that, it's doingboon.com. And to reach out to me, you can either go to ryanvet.com. That's R-Y-A-N-V-E-T.com. Or find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Ryan C. Vet. Fire Nation, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and you've been hanging out with RV and JLD today, so keep up the heat. And if you head over to eofire.com and just type Ryan in the search bar, his show notes page will pop up with everything that we've been talking about today. Best show notes in the biz, timestamps, links galore. And of course, your direct call to action, Fire Nation, check out 
doingboon.com. That's B-O-O-N, doingboon.com. And of course, you can find Ryan at ryanvet.com or just check him out on Instagram, Ryan C. Vet. So Ryan, thank you, brother, for sharing these value bombs with Fire Nation today. For that, we salute you and we'll catch you on the flip side. Hey, Fire Nation, today's value bomb content was brought to you by Ryan Vett. And successful entrepreneurs, they accomplish big goals, big goals, Fire Nation. That's why I created the Freedom Journal to guide you in accomplishing your number one goal in 100 days. We're talking step by step. Visit thefreedomjournal.com. Use promo code podcast for a nice little discount. And thank you for listening to my podcast. And I'll catch you there, Fire Nation, or I'll catch you on the flip side. Become an expert at keeping track of your most precious resource time with a Vincero watch. Visit vincerowatches.com slash fire and use promo code fire for 15% off plus free shipping worldwide. That's vincerowatches.com slash fire. Promo code fire.